Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I, cry, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Lord, we ask that you would help us as the Psalms do so well. We we locate ourselves in the Psalms, in real life situations. But we also locate the Savior in the Psalms. And may we locate our eternal King Jesus as enthroned over our own lives to be able to give perspective on what we're living through. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title for this morning, and I I asked Mark earlier if he snuck into my office and read my sermon as it was on my computer because we have been served very, he said no, Uh, but we have been served very well. And I, I, we, just behind the scenes as we plan for these gatherings. This is, this, this is very important for us. It's very important for us as a church family. It's very important to God that we're gathered together because there's a particular grace that comes with being together as the people of God and experiencing his presence and his power and his promises to us and being reminded of those. Um, what, just There were so many lines in, in each song that are almost word for word what the Lord, I think, has given us to go through. But the title of today is Grace in the Battle with Discouragement. If you've ever come across the children's book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. You know that we have some of those days, don't we? If you've ever read that book, uh, Alexander wakes up in the morning, he's got gum in his hair because he didn't take it out of his mouth when he went to bed. Then he drops his sweater in the sink with running water and he wets everything. Gets, he doesn't get the window seat on the way to school for uh, their, the people going to school. He he's, finds out at school that he's someone's third best friend. <laughs> he, doesn't, he goes to buy shoes after school and they don't have the shoes that he wants at the store. He goes home, he has to eat lima beans and he hates lima beans and he has to wear the Pajamas that he hates with the trains on them. All throughout the book, here's what Alexander was saying. I wish I could just go to Australia. As if Australia didn't have the problems that he was experiencing that day. We have days like Alexander when we want to get as far away from the day as possible. Because we just want to get far away from the misery. But we also realize at the same time that the distance doesn't fix our bad days, does it? We end up bringing our bad day with us wherever we go. And then we start to think we're cursed. I'm just cursed. And everybody around me, watch out. 
I come with bad days, and you're going to have one if you get close to me. This psalm is King David's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. When he ran from his son. Absalom had usurped the throne in Jerusalem, and David ran from him. You know, God's promise uh, is to never turn away from doing good to us. And God's promise to never turn away from doing good to us does not remove miserable, horrible, no good, very bad days from our lives. But oh, we want it to, right? God, I should have some uh, special get out of jail free card of life that just I, I can rise above all the misery that takes place. But that's not God's promise. God's promise is to be with us through it. His promise of good shows up in his gracious presence with us to get through the misery. And what we're going to look at and where we locate the Savior in this is in our moments of misery is the opportunity for the Savior to shine in us and through us. And that's what we're going to be looking for. So just walking through this psalm in the first couple verses, we have a mounting misery from David. David is completely rejected, and he is completely dejected in this psalm. His son Absalom had spent four years before this point, four years sitting at the gates of Jerusalem. His father is on the throne, and everybody that came to the king to settle a dispute or to get a question answered, everybody that came first met Absalom at the front door, and Absalom said, the king's busy, what can I help you with? And over the course of four years, the, the scripture says, he stole the hearts of the men of Israel, stole them away from his father and built a loyalty and a following for himself. This psalm was written on a bad day for David. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, we, uh, we have the story and the context of how this psalm shows up. Uh, it says, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. He left so fast he didn't have shoes to put on. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Ahithophel was one of the best friends of David, his, his most cherished counselor. Even his friends are deserting him. And David offers a, a prayer in that moment. Oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Many, so when he writes, many are my foes, many are rising against me. This is the situation that is happening to him in the next chapter in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 16. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, and he came and he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David, at all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you men of blood, you worthless man. 
The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into you, the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. So, when bad stuff begins to happen to us, we begin thinking, I must be cursed. This man comes out and tells David, you're cursed. And I'm throwing stones at you. And I want you to know, here's the descendant of Saul. You took over my grandfather's throne and you're wrong for that. You're a man of blood. Remember all the integrity that David was trying to, to maintain as he served Saul running from him when Saul was trying to kill him? All of that's being turned on David. You got nothing. He's weeping. He's going out barefoot and people are hurling insults at him. We can see how he, in that moment, is looking for any type of hope. But there's no hope. And when enough people tell you how miserable you are, you start to believe it. David had enough reason to believe that he really was cursed and that God was bringing the curse. See, there was truth mixed in to what Shimei said. People piled on the thought, this is crazy, huh? Verse 2, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. They're looking at David in the circumstance that he is, and they're saying, God doesn't even want to help you right now. That's how bad off you are. You don't even have God's help. He's able, he's unwilling to help you because of who you are. Maybe they were thinking he made his bed. Got to sleep in it. God's judgment was all that's left. They're telling him, you're too far gone for God. He's not going to show up. What played out after this was the fulfillment of Nathan's prophecy over David when he committed adultery and murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And he said, what, you, what your sin was done in secret will be exposed. And Absalom was used to expose that sin in the light of day. He put a tent up and he went into the concubines that were left by David in his, king, in his palace. Horrible. Terrible. No good. Very bad day. You know, David's day is not what many of us experience. So we can uh, sometimes think that, man, that's, that's just an experience that's out there that I can't really relate to. But God gives the over-example in order for us to understand his presence with us. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher in the 1800s in London, said, if, if all the trials which came from heaven, all the temptations which ascend from hell, and all the crosses which arise from earth could be mixed and pressed together, they would not make a trial so terrible as that which is contained in this verse. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. We, we feel that sting sometimes, don't we? We feel God and the psalmists are all over the place. How long will you let this misery go on? Where are you? Why have you turned your back on me? Why have you forsaken me? We feel this temptation to believe that God is way off and we're too far gone in our sin, in our misery, in our stuff for God to care. And we all have different experiences of misery. And we need to be careful not to disqualify others' experiences of misery as, as not lining up exactly 
what we've experienced. You know, God gave a really bad day that we don't typically experience to show that his grace is the constant we should be looking for in every category of our own lives and others. God's comfort is the same no matter what the misery. And the emphasis is on the comfort that God gives. He gives the same comfort. So those who are comforted pass on comfort. And we need to make sure that we don't, we don't stop the flow of God's grace and comfort from others in the body of Christ because we think, you just don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know how this happened. I know you're, your experience is bad, but mine was really bad. I think in that moment we begin weirdly to glorify our experience. So we want people to... We're looking for people's, we want to put pain in the mix rather than experience the comfort. Jesus knew the depth of discouragement and despair that David was going through. And Jesus knows every ounce of the pain and the misery that we experience in this life. He knew complete aloneness when he experienced being forsaken by the Father on the cross. And remember, Jesus was forsaken, so we would not be forsaken. Jesus went to the edge of every fear and misery we could ever imagine, and he went through it, so we would never be alone, and we would never be too far gone. Never once have we walked alone. In the next couple of verses, in verses 3 and 4, we find that there's a God who is there when no one else is. Something to always pay attention to in Scripture is the buts. An old man across the lake, Pastor Peter Davidson, part of the church that sent us over here, remember him saying one time, you've got to pay attention to the buts in the Bible because they're huge and they're all over the place. And he's right. You gotta pay attention to the buts. But you. We've gotta pay attention when the, there's misery and it's compounding and it's heavy, but there's an instance that faith sparks and says, But you, God, no longer am I gonna force my attention on my misery and circumstance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna concentrate on God for a moment. He says, But you. Our perspective of God in our misery, when we look up, then gives us a new perspective on our misery. If all we're doing is looking down, we'll keep, we'll keep on uh, caving under the weight of the misery. But when we look up, we give a new perspective from God on what we're walking through. The, they become opportunities to see God's glory. And David asks for, he declares, but he's asking in this declaration, you are a shield about me. David needed a shield, but understood that any man-made shield would not give him the protection and security he needed in that moment. He needed a spiritual shield. He needed Jesus. Jesus shields us from fiery darts that are aimed at our hearts, and what Jesus does is he comes and absorbs those darts and speaks peace into our hearts rather than the fear that the fiery darts are trying to convey. He speaks peace and settles us. And then David turns to him and says, my glory, God, you're my glory and the lifter of my head. A king is beset with glory and he seeks to keep that glory at all costs. David trades his glory in. And he only wants God's glory. 
He has yielded his throne. But he hasn't just yielded his throne to his son. He's yielded the throne of his heart to his God. And he looks to God. His his yield to God set up a hope in God's future restoration. And he said, whatever God chooses to do, I'm good with it. But he's looking forward to God's future restoration. See, David trusted in God's past faithfulness as the foundation for his future faithfulness. And that's what we do. He has been. I appreciated Mark taking time just for us to linger with You've been faithful. You're faithful. You're a faithful God. What that does is it reminds us, we we think of the past when we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. How he's been patient with us in all of our rebellion toward him and all of our selfishness that oozes out of us. He's been patient with us, but what that now does is it gives us hope that he's still going to be faithful in our future as we continue to walk. The middle of misery is the opportunity to see the true and eternal king. Jesus himself. And within our miseries, we, we actually share in Christ's glory. As the Apostle Paul says, we fill up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus suffered his part And that we now have to suffer our part in order to be saved. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. What he's saying and seeking to convey is every time that the church walks through suffering, we understand what Jesus went through for us. And when we understand what he went through for us, we begin living and acting in his resurrection life, which then shines Jesus' glory. See, Jesus' glory is his suffering. That's why he came... Everybody around him is looking for a king. We're going to fight now? We're going to fight now? Disciples always ask him, now's the time to fight? We're going to fight now? You're not, you're not hearing me. I'm not here to fight like that. I'm here to lay down my life. And he always pointed to his suffering. Remember, he tells the disciples he's going to suffer. And Peter says, you got this wrong, Jesus. Have you read the Bible at all? That's not the Messiah. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, get behind me, Satan. No, because, you know, the, the devil himself came to Jesus and tempted Jesus not to go to the cross when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Took him to the pinnacle of the temple and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give you all of these if you just bow down and worship me. The devil knew exactly what he was doing. He was telling Jesus, I'll give it to you. Because that's what Jesus has. He all, he, he's the king of the universe. He's got all the kingdoms of the world. And that's what God gave him as a result of what he went through on the cross and through his resurrection. But the devil is saying, I'll give it all to you. And you don't have to suffer. And that's when we go after our man-made attempts to try to get around the suffering. Try to alleviate life and get an ease so we we get around the suffering with some man-made attempt and we we don't have god in those moments and in those moments we say god why why don't i feel you are you here anywhere god says i'm here but i'm with you in the fire we don't want to go there it's just we're human we don't like pain because pain is unnatural it is the result of sin in a fallen world and we, all, we have it in us, we have it around us. See, when we, 
when we shine in our sufferings with Jesus, what we are shining with is his peace, his rest, his security, and even his joy. Do you remember Jesus looked at the joy that was set before him in enduring the cross? Only God can give that perspective to us. You can't manufacture that. Like, all right, I'm just going to be happy about this. No, it's not the right thing. There's a joy that settles us, and it's a joy that says, God, you are in control. You are the eternal king. He says, you're my glory and the lifter of my head. Though sadness is deep and pervasive, God will pick up our heads so joy will always win our days. He lifts drooping heads to see his supremacy. Are you sad? See Jesus and let him lift your head. Now, don't resist his lifting in stubbornness. We often walk around like this when it comes to God. Nope, not going to do it. Mm-mm. God, I'm just, you're, you're not doing what I think you should be doing in this situation. And so we fight with God with our chin down. We fight for God to look at our circumstance. God, do you see this? You see this? This is nothing. This is miserable. Where are you? And all the while, God's seeking to lift our heads. So we see him, but we fight him. Like, no, look at this, God. No, look. See, we fight for God to look at us when he's saying, no, look at me. And that's when we find the alleviation, the elevation, the, the lifting, and the joy that results from that. So we need to unlock our heads to see him. And David then, verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord. David couldn't cry out for the help of somebody around him. He couldn't go to his mighty men to help him out of this one. His help could only come from God, and he cried out. See, listen, there's a, there's a place for silent prayers, because we're to pray without ceasing. I believe that as we're going about our lives and days, we are just praying and asking God for things. But there are times when we have to say it out loud. And sometimes that's when we experience the Spirit interceding for us with groans that are too deep for words. Sometimes the cry is a groan, but it's audible. And, and something, something happens, I think, with, with audible prayers that we, we release and yield an authority in order for God's authority to then show up. We... we, we, we Yield our, our contentious, God, do it the way I think you need to be answering me. And we begin to look at him and say, I, I trust you. I yield to your authority, which is the banner over me. Then, then we're allowed to then take God's authority and use his authority, not some of our own uh, crazy manufactured authority that we try to wield. But look, one of the greatest Two words in all the Bible. And, no, sorry, not that one. He answered. He answered. David cries aloud. Remember, he's crying aloud saying, God, I could be under your curse, but I know your steadfast love. I know your faithfulness in my past, and I know you're there. So I'm coming, I'm coming to you again, God. And God in his grace says, I'm here. He answered him. Remember, we, we don't pray to awaken God or to convince God to pay attention to us. We pray so we touch the heart of God where he is 
So we can experience Him where He is. Prayer brings us to God. He brings us to Himself and He speaks to us. God answered from His holy hill, from His king place. He is still king. He is, he's forever king. And He's forever enthroned over David. He's forever enthroned over His people. That is us. He's forever enthroned over us. And when we see God as he is and lifting us out of the, the consumption. <coughs> Sorry, talking too fast. <coughs> Choking. <coughs> I have him. I've got everything that trying to not cough when I preach. But I still cough. I have no idea where I left off consumption of our misery when we see jesus then we experience the grace he has in the battle you know what that grace is sleep david was so convinced of god's presence and providence he went to sleep look i lay down and slept how often do we how many sleepless nights do we have because we're not convinced of god's presence and we're not convinced of his promises God's hold on David amid his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day sustained him in sleeping and then wakening him. The mission for David's life was not over. Even in the misery, we think, God, there's just nothing good can come out of this. And God says, no, I'm going to get you up because there's still more for you to shine of my glory. Often we live as if the mission of God in us and through us is on the verge of being stopped or snuffed out. But listen, church, the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Nothing will prevail. So that tells us we have the victory. We're the ones that get to walk in that. And, and the response from, I trust you to be able to sleep. Now, when he does look at his circumstance, he has, in verse 6, no fear. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Though multitudes of people stand against David and multitudes stand against us because of Christ, Jesus said that they'll hate you just like they hated me. We do not have to fear them. When we feel enclosed, we need to remember the shield that surrounds us that doesn't give any crack. Yeah, you see, I thought of Wakanda in the movie Black Panther or, or it's the last one, Infinity War, I think, when all those beast things are like the, the big dome shield that's holding them. All these beasts are like prying themselves through. Some of you have no idea what that means. And you're like, what in the world are you trying to describe, Jeff? Other ones are like, yeah, I got you. Follow me. This is my whole point. The enemy can't, there's no cracks. There's no, the power of the enemy can't overpower or find a little crease in the shield that Jesus is to poke his head through. Jesus does not wear down or break down. He's faithful. And we don't have to fear. He doesn't give any crack for the enemy to come through. And then in verses 7 and 8, we see that only God saves. Only God saves. David says, arise, O Lord. He's taking that from Moses. When the, the people of Israel, out, when they were rescued out of Egypt... The pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Whenever the glory that rested upon the tabernacle 
whenever it lifted, that's when everybody knew God is moving us someplace. And they packed up all of their stuff, and they then journeyed. But as they set out, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. But David says, Past faithfulness, or present reality, and future faithfulness. Arise, O Lord, because you've already taken care of the enemy. I don't have to then take care of the enemy. And he says, uh, he he, he describes utter destruction. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. See, seeing God on his throne reminded David that it's God who ultimately sits as judge over everybody. Even though he had a place of judgment that was stolen away by Absalom, it's God that sits in judgment. And David didn't seek vengeance on the people that were cursing at him and taunting him. We, it's sneaky, and if we've been saved a long time, we learn how to do this. We learn how to wish God's judgment on people and think we don't sin when we do that. Well, you just, you're going to get what God's... And we, we sin when we do that because vengeance is not ours. God is clear. Vengeance is His. Look, Romans 12, 19, beloved. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You know what that does for us? Rather than wish God's judgment on somebody, we then understand that's a severe judgment. I pray for God's mercy now upon you. But God wins. That's a, I think... Psalm after this says, David prays to God, let not man prevail. Man's never going to prevail when it comes to God. He's God. And he will continue to be God on his throne forever. So we don't wish judgment on God's judgment on others. We plead for them to trust then for salvation from his judgment. And that he strikes all the enemies on the cheek. Remember? Jesus, the night he was betrayed, was struck on the cheek, pulled out his beard, spat on. David then recognized, I don't know if he made the connection, we're able to make the connection. That all the enemies that are coming against us were really fulfilled when the enemy of sin was placed on Jesus and he experienced every torment and misery of hell. To save us from it. Only God saves. And then David turns in verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's the one that saves. And he will keep on saving. And he says your blessing be on your people. He went from I. He went from his own misery. To then see it's not just me. God cares for everybody. So God may your blessing be on all of your people. He's putting He's putting the emphasis where it belongs, on the throne of God. And, and he asks that, his, that God's throne would then be in and secured in every heart of his people. And that's how, that's how God advances his kingdom. He advances his kingdom through sacrifice. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to suffer 
and rise again. And now he's enthroned forever. So every ounce of our lives is an opportunity for his glory and his suffering to shine through. He's that, that's, that's how God's kingdom advances. He does not, look, sometimes he does rescue us from the misery. Sometimes he does. But it's not guaranteed. And we need to make sure that in the moment that he doesn't rescue us, we remember that he's with us. He's with us in the fire. He is with us as our shield. And he's with us as the lifter of our heads. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how many are our foes? And sometimes those foes come from within us, our own passions and cravings that rise against us and taunt us and say that God will never come through for you. You're too far gone. But you, O oh Lord, you are the one we look to. You are the shield about us. You are our glory. And you lift our heads to see you. We cry out to you, God, trusting you will answer us from your holy throne so we can sleep. And then we can wake again because you sustain us. And every day is about you sustaining us rather than what we need to do for you in order to accomplish something from you. We trust you. So God, we ask that you would take fear from us. That we would not fear the thousands, the thousands of sins, the thousands of peoples, the thousands of demonic activity who set themselves all around us. God, when we're enclosed like that, arise and scatter them. Save us. You're the one that takes out wrath. You're the one that has vengeance. So God, salvation is all yours. And we live in the blessing as your people.